This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and once again, we're recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is an actor, screen and television writer, Emmy and Grammy-winning performer, and one of the most popular, admired, and prolific stand-up comedians of his generation. As an actor, you've seen him in hit TV shows like The King of Queens, The Simpsons, V, Archer, Justified, uh, Mystery Science Theater, uh, 3000, <laughs> Mystery Science Theater, 3000. <laughs> it's Mystery Science Theater. It's be one of those shows. 3000. <laughs> the Return Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Goldbergs, and AP Bio. You also know him from movies such as Magnolia, Zoolander, Blade, Blade Trinity. Blade Trinity. 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 Trinity from. Blade Trinity. Big Big Pen. The Informant. Young Adult. And of course, the brilliant Chef Remy in Pixar's Oscar winning comedy. Ratatouille. 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 Like a, the, literally, Rat- the one word you actually should be saying like Jerry Lewis and you're, you're struggling with Ratatouille. <laughs> ramen. Ramen noodle. Ramen shival. He, uh, he's also... Uh, he's also a film scholar. Huh? Yes. And the author of the New York Times bestsellers. Zombie Spaceship Wasteland, Silver Screen Fiend, and his new crime book, on which he completed the work of his late wife, Michelle McNamara. Uh, I'll be gone in the dark. I, I didn't write that one. I just, I got it finished. Yes. Okay. God. Okay, don't My interrupt new crime me. book. Oh, sorry about yes, that. Yes, stop it. You know, I'm doing a very professional job. Oh, yeah. And oh, great jumping, pacing. And you're interrupting me. One, so it's I'll Be Gone in the Dark, one woman's obsessive search for the Golden State Killer. Welcome to the show, a sought-after comedian, actor, and writer who somehow... Finds time to listen to this podcast. And a man God who actually <laughs> fantasizes about seeing a movie called Billy Jack versus Blackula. <laughs> <laughs> you you all know him from science fiction. 3,000! <laughs> and Rasagooly. <laughs> Rasagool. Rasagool. Rasagooly. <laughs> Our okay. pal, Patton Oswald. Oh, Gilbert and Frank, thank you so much. <laughs> 
Pat, <laughs> so happy to be here. You are here. I am finally. actually here. Finally. Three and a half years uh, into I, the show. I could have done this way earlier. I hate calling into shows. Oh, yeah. I will hold out till I can be there live. We're so glad you're here. Yeah, it's so much more fun this way. And you know, you got a lot going on. This has been one of the most surreal. Di- it, it is so strange how my 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 late wife's book, I'll be gone in the dark, uh, which uh, this more you know she was about this serial killer that she was trying to solve this case. Worked six years on it and did not uh, live to see it completed. But this morning I woke up, there were pings on the cell phone and all these news alerts. They caught the guy. He's in jail. The Golden State Killer was caught and is now in prison. Incredible. Yeah, and I, that's how I et- began the day, and I'm ending it with Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> so could not be, this nope. is going to be one of the weirder days nope, of my life. No more surreal than that. Begin the no. day with a serial killer <laughs> and end with Gilbert Gottfried. What more could you ask well, for? Really? I mean, that's, that's, that is seize the day, isn't it? That's living your best life. You could just talk a little bit about, about this, the, the book and what happened. And I mean, because this is such. Yeah, she was a, uh, a true crime writer and investigative journalist. But what she would do is she was kind of perfecting this new sort of uh, method where she would use a lot of online resources and searching because everything's being digitized now. So there's stuff that normally would be hidden in police files that was she was suddenly using Google Maps and uh, uh, DNA searches and, and familial DNA and and, and geographic profiling to figure out – this guy was the worst uncaught serial killer in California history. And one of the reasons he wasn't caught – and this is going to sound very creepy – was they didn't give him a good name. He started – he was called Eron's. Eron's was – in the 70s, he started in Sacramento, East Area Rapist. Then he stopped for a while, shows up down in Southern California – as the original Night Stalker. They didn't know that these two guys were the same guy for years. DNA comes along in the 90s. You realize, oh, it's the same guy. They called him Eron's. I mean, it takes you 10 minutes to explain what that means. Of course. And it doesn't catch on. So she and, – and when she came up with Golden State Killer, a lot of these cops were like, yeah, that actually is helpful because, you know, he didn't have a name that landed like Zodiac or Night Stalker. Marketing. You know. so it is it, marketing. Yeah. yeah. In, in a case like that. <laughs> it, it's true. It's advertising. It is truly advertising. You cannot keep people's attention unless you give them a cool name. Like – like uh Son of Sam. Son of Sam. Great name. Yeah. And I'm not saying that like, oh, yay, he's killing people. But if you want to catch him, take a deep breath and give them a really good name. You know, don't don't call him the the third left up after the barn killer. Like, wait, what? And like, then you, don't let Gilbert try to pronounce don't, it. And yeah. Don't <laughs> let Gilbert try to take <laughs> it. It's funny. Like, you sell... A serial killer like a breakfast cereal or yes. a dishwashing liquid. Mm-hmm. And give it a cool name that rings in people's heads. Did you see this coming at all? Was was this <sighs> did this take you completely by storm? I, I thought it would be it was weird because the night before I I was in Chicago doing a book event with the journalist who helped finish the book and Michelle's researcher, and we ended the evening. Paul Haynes and Billy Jensen and um yeah, Billy Jensen and Paul Haynes, yeah. and we ended the evening. Uh, this is in Chicago where my wife was from. Her whole family is there. And someone was asking, do you think he'll ever be caught? And we think and, – and I think I ended the evening by basically saying, I think time is running out for him. In my mind thinking five, maybe ten more years down the road with because he was so uncaught for so long. Wake up that – I mean we went to bed at 1130. I get, started getting pings at like four in the morning. 
he's caught. He's in jail. They're going to have a press conference today. They had a huge press conference, and it was crazy. It's just been a very, very surreal day. And now there's like, you know, he's been convicted of two of these murders. Clearly, if he's if his DNA, if he's the East Area Rapist, he's also the original Night Stalker, and he's killed 12 people and raped 50. Unbelievable. And, and, and also more that we probably don't know about. And former policeman. Right, 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 right. Probably flashing a badge. And the reason he had to quit the police force, and this sounds like something out of a bad laughing sketch, but in the 70s, he was caught shoplifting oh, yes, I saw this. a hammer and dog, dog repellent. repellent. He would invade homes. And he was shoplifting a hammer and dog repellent, and then they they were going to, like, usually, and the force will usually help cover that, and he immediately quit, like, don't dig any further, I'm done, I'm out. Which should have been very suspicious. He was shoplifting because he doesn't didn't want any record of him buying these items, you know. So, uh, again, it's just the, the, the levels of... The story can't end here. I mean, there has no, to be a... No, no, this there is... Has- it's part two of the story has that's ended. He's I'm, in jail. There's gonna be a whole other. That's what I mean. There has to be so, a documentary so, or something. Or, or well, HBO is doing a multi-part documentary okay. about Michelle and the writing of the book. Wonderful. But now this morning should happen. The documentary is like it's a different movie now. I don't know what's gonna happen. Like <laughs> now they're all trying to figure out what's this whole movie gonna be now because they're gonna do a big, like like they're gonna do it like the Jinx or, um, you know, making a murderer a big long series. So they already had him under two names. Under two names in the 70s, he was the East Area Rapist, Ear, and he vanished um, because because a guy, one of the guys he was trying to attack, and he was, die, like, he would attack couples. He would tie the, the husband up, make him lie face down in the kitchen, stack plates and cups on his back, and go, if I hear any of these hit the floor while I'm in the other room with your wife, I'll kill both of you. Like, it's just this, cra- like, these, cra- he would he would break into houses early and leave stuff, like hide stuff, like handcuffs and ligatures that he could use later. Like he would prep the scene and um, he was held at gunpoint at one po- at one time and got away. He would vault fences. It was just, it was really, and um, uh, he, uh, and then, then he vanished for a little bit because that, the one where he almost got caught spooked him. Then he shows up, they didn't realize it was him, down in Goleta and Irvine as the original Night Stalker. And that's when he started murdering people. It's incredible. It, it's it, the whole thing is it's insane. And you must be numb. I mean, we've caught you on I, the day that this has just, the, yeah. just broken. Well, let's talk about our favorite Buddy Hackett movie. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't can we segue? It's a good segue. Godzilla Laker into <laughs> how do how do we segue to Lord Love a Duck? <laughs> Lord Love a Duck, <laughs> which I, I rented. It was quite disappointing. To, well, because Horrible. they were trying yeah. because God, I wanted to love. They it. had that little subplot in it's a mad, mad, mad world. And the studio went, "There's our new comedy team." And ooh, well, George no. Axelrod was somebody to be reckoned with, but the movie's just kind of a mess. And, yeah. and, and I they, love McDowell. Yeah. And and Roddy McDowell, it's funny. It's kind of like that movie was the original Ferris Bueller. <laughs> like you could say this that. obnoxious kid who's yeah. getting it over on everybody. Horrible. You hey, except you're movie. not rooting for him. You, you no. immediately hate him. <laughs> but I wasn't rooting for Ferris Bueller. Well, and yeah. that's the first thing I Did said. Did you hear the Broderick episode where he trashed Ferris Bueller five minutes into the show? No, I was sitting what? Right, I was sitting yeah, right I, where you're I sitting. I think I opened with it. I told Matthew Broderick, who's a very nice guy. <laughs> I, was fine I was nice enough to show up here between plays. Yeah. Get a break. He had like a two-hour break. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> to get kill, his ass handed to him. him. And, but I had, a, I had to open up the interview saying, I 
fucking hated Ferris Bueller's Day <laughs> What was his response? Yeah. Well, he was, he was very nice about very cool. it. Okay. He's a nice person. <laughs> what? Well, you know, it's weird how you look at back on some of these 80s movies where I liked Ferris Bueller when I saw it, but I can't not look at it with my eyes now and go, this is a movie about a sociopath. Yes. <laughs> He's yes. a sociopath. Yes. And then there's, an, of course, you know, the other theory about Ferris Bueller, of course. Is that Ferris Bueller doesn't exist? It's all in Cameron's mind. I've it's heard a, this. It's a Fight Club situation. I've heard where this. Where he's imagining who he wants that to be. That would have been a good movie. And he, yeah, and he's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if he hadn't didn't exist. But it's weird. Tomorrow I fly back to L.A. and I'm going to go to the uh, premiere of a new uh, YouTube Red show called Cobra Kai. And remember the movie Karate Kid? Yes. Of course. Okay. And the and the blonde villain Johnny Lawrence yes. who is in Cobra Kai. This. TV show. It's 10 episodes. I've seen all 10 episodes, but I'm going tomorrow. It's Johnny Lawrence, his age now, in his 40s. Love it. Total loser. He's never gotten over losing the thing, and now he, and Daniel LaRusso is like this successful auto dealership guy in the Valley, and Johnny Lawrence decides to bring Cobra Kai back and try to get revenge, and it is so funny. What a smart idea. And they found the same actors. And getting back to Ferris Bueller. getting back to Ferris Bueller. (laughs) I also thought... Okay, so the principal... You felt sorry for Rooney. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. principal's a villain because he's got a kid who's constantly missing school. Well, yeah, subversive. Yeah, yeah. And he goes after him as a principal should do. Mm. And so the kid's missing school, lying to his parents. <laughs> yes, yes, he's a scumbag. Right. Although it is weird now also watching the movie, knowing what you know about Jeffrey Jones and oh, seeing him yes. obsessed with a teen boy. Poor turn of a, and, yeah, and like, of a like oh, that's not going to age very well. Yeah, yeah, you're chasing after a boy. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> yeah. And it's a shame because he's such a good actor. He's, he was such, he was so great in Amadeus. And Beetlejuice. Oh, Beetlejuice, he's yeah. great. Oh, yeah. De- uh, Devil's Advocate. Yeah, he was Devil's great Advocate. In. He was the only um, funny part of uh, Howard the Duck when he gets possessed by that demons. That remember that the alien monster possesses him, yeah. and all his lines are hilarious. I think you, were, you and I are the two guys that saw Howard the Duck. Oh, did yeah. anybody see Howard the Duck? I saw it when it came out because yeah. I was like, oh, maybe this will be good. And but he has a great. She took my eggs. When they're in the diner, he went underground. The poor guy. Well, what? Yeah, what, what's he going to do? Show up at auditions? And and it it it's one of those things. Like I, you know, it's weird to say you feel bad for a guy, but I feel bad for him. Well, I, I feel bad for the fact that you know he did have all this talent, and why couldn't he have? You know. If you're that talented and clearly that intelligent, why don't you go seek help or know? Oh my God, be self aware yeah. enough to, you know what I mean. But I, I don't. It's tragic, and also ultimately, the people that he messed with is awful. You know, because oh, they were probably wow. excited That's... to meet him. Like, hey, I like you in all those yeah. movies, and then, oh boy. Oh. Creepy. You know from this show, from listening to this show, that we jump around and there's no rhyme or reason to anything. And Wait, there's no, what? there's no sequence. I no, we got we. This has made perfect sense. We've gone See, from a, a caught serial killer to Buddy Hackett to to pedophilia, and then and now we go to. And you know, you were talking about that movie that's made from. <laughs> I like he brings his own segues. I know. Yeah, I like that about with, him. With the villain from Karate Kid. Yeah. Yes. I always wanted to do sequels to movies where like Titanic. 
Uh-huh. I wanted to make a sequel where the Leonardo DiCaprio character does live. Mm-hmm. And and the two of them get married. And then she's going, wait a minute. We're in a rat-infested apartment? Right, exactly. And what if who's, who's going to be cooking my meals? And clean, <laughs> right. And why am I wearing these rags for? Yeah, and also that thing of like, Oh wait a minute! No, you were my slumming side snack, but I'm not. Shouldn't be married. To yeah, you. this is awful. Yeah. Like you're fun to spend a crazy night with, but a life. To, oh no, this is a. And you know, he's he's going to grow up to become a temperamental alcoholic artist. Yes, you know, who's just like, oh, I. It's yeah. like, wait a minute. We her, her choices were this very handsome, stable, violent psychopath, and this. Fun, but also clearly someday very destructive. Like she just had no real <laughs> options. It was good that she got away from the music guy and the, the artist. She just she nailed him and then let him die. Like good, best of all yes, possible yes. worlds. <laughs> as long as we're talking about fantasy scenarios, I, before we lose this because it's in the intro, Billy Jack versus Blackula, oh. maybe my favorite from your book. Yes, your wonderful book, Silver Screen Fiend, and. In the back of the book, one of the last sections of the book, is you imagine fantasy films with fantasy I, I, directors. I imagine, yeah, I imagine a month of films at this place called the New Beverly in L.A. The the owner died, Sherman Torgan, and I go, I want to program, Torgan. yeah, the great Sherman Torgan, and I want to... Um, I, w- I wanted to program one month of movies that that people either dreamed of making or should have been made. Some of those are based on movies that were being developed at one point. Yeah, like Francis Ford Coppola's, Coppola's Doctor, Doctor Strange. Strange. Yes, he was doing that me. back in the early seventies, which is like, wait, what? Can you imagine? You no, had, you put, I actually you put can't. Christopher Walken in yours. Yes, yes, I did. He yeah. would have been a great Doctor Strange. Young Christopher yeah. Walken? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Would have been an amazing yeah. Doctor Strange. What about Sam Peckinpah's Superman starring Steve McQueen? He was developing that at one point. Can you imagine? He was one wow. of the... They, they had him on as director for a little bit, and he wow. wanted... Wow. And, and my... my 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 dream scene in that would be, you know, someone blasts a machine gun at Superman's chest and the bullets deflect off but just go into other people and it's a bloodbath. Oh. Like all these people <laughs> die and he does and, it in slow motion. And, and yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Falling back with the arms in yeah. the air. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, William Holden is Lex Luthor. Really. I don't, I don't yeah, know you, who he... You even put the dream cast together. In in each one of these, well, Steve McQueen is Superman. I who think else? you said fu- you say in the oh, book, no. "Fuck it, Hackman yeah, will play Luther." Still again. Hackman, yeah, right, he was great. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Come on. What about Billy Jack versus Blackula? Because those are two movies that have been discussed on this show. Yes. Well, I mean, the first Billy Jack movie, if you've seen it recently, is so insanely slow. Yeah. Everyone remembers the ass kicking in the park scene, yeah. and what they forget is it's literally ninety minutes of talking with three minutes of ass kicking. <laughs> It's so bad. And then, actually, the original Blackula is kind of fun. It is. You know, and, see, and I, see, now when they talk about Blackula. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for jumping in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they talk about Blackula. Was a little schizophrenic. They, they, they always review it, and they say, and the, the great William Marshall. And I'm going, well, what? Where do we know William Marshall from other than Blackula? Pee-wee. Uh, yeah, Pee-wee. he's on Pee Wee's show, but he was also he was a huge William Shakespearean was on actor. Show? Yeah, wasn't he the king of uh, I, the king I of cartoons or something? On the, yeah, the other, yeah, on the Pee Wee's show. Who's the other Pee Wee's Playhouse? Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne as the cowboy. Yes, right, right. Yeah. right. 
But yeah, you're, people on Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a whole other. How is new that? How part is that not some show. little hipster band's name? <laughs> black people on Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> also, you you imagined a biopic. This was sweet with your friend Sherman, played by John the great the, the late great John Cazal. Yes. Yeah, the moviegoer. Uh, yeah. Michael Percy's the moviegoer. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that would be a good Sherman biopic. Yeah, just, I mean, because John Cazal only got to do those five movies and that one episode of Street San Francisco, then gone. Five but big movies. It's yeah. so it's so insane. Yeah. He does five movies, but five iconic movies. Yeah. They're all two best pictures. Ama- yeah. Three. Three best pictures. Three. Godfather 2. And, 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 was, and was insanely memorable in all of them. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, play, it, and playing characters that would normally he would— would fade into the background oh, yes. with the less actor, but he made them and so real. The conversation. Incredible. Uh, uh, Deer Hunter. Uh, let's see. The two Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, and Dog Day. God- and, oh, Dog Day Afternoon, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. 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 That haircut oh, in Dog Day. He was great He's in so Olo's. good. He was, it was really weird because I did a movie, a little movie called Big Fan, and my mom is played by Marsha Jean Kurtz, who's one of the bank tellers in Dog Day Afternoon. And um, in there, there's a Spike Lee film called The Inside Man. I like that picture. And she also <laughs> plays a bank teller with the exact same name cool. as her character in Dog And she says while the question goes, you know, I've been held up before. And it's supposed <laughs> to be the same character. Like oh, it's years like an in-joke. A little in-joke oh, if you I know who that. she is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we talk a lot about Lumet on this show. We talk. Oh, Sidney Lumet! I was just talking about the other day. Talk about that guy. He does what? 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 Didn't he do Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico, and then Murder on the Orient? Yes. Like the 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 craziest to get away from to change, but change it up. But still, but but Murder on the Orient Express is so weirdly violent and dark. It's G rated, but that murder scene at the end. In the blue light, when they're all yep. stabbing the guy, yep. is nightmarish. Yep, it's great. It's one of your favorite movie moments too. I saw it, the uh, uh, Poirot, mm-hmm. and he did another movie. I that's a favorite of mine, even though it's not a perfect film, and mm-hmm. and he himself thought it wasn't perfect. The Wiz, and uh, no, <laughs> oh God, that's where there's no scene that's uh, passable in that uh, one. But Bye Bye Braverman. You were talking about that on the on the show, and when you mentioned that Sorrel Brook was in it, I'm like, yeah. now I got to go. Oh, I yeah. went and downloaded it to watch it. Sorrel Brook plays this kind of effeminate, swishy writer mm-hmm. yes. with this big red electric typewriter, and it's kind of just a day in the life. It's it's really good. Joseph Wiseman shows up in it too. Doctor yeah. No, and and Jack Warden. I mean, great actors. Yeah, but but it but it has the pacing and the stakes of these little precious indie films. Yeah, that you would see at Sundance now. But they were making this in the early seventies. Like the, the stakes are so low, but you but you care when you look at his body of work and you look at things, and then you look at things like Prince of the City and 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 Twelve Angry Men and mm-hmm. and Pawnbroker yeah. and I mean it's just a, it's a wonderful output. He, he and the did, verdict and the verdict yeah. and um, Q and A and Q and A right and, and oh, then the, um, what is it before oh, the, the that, devil knows you're dead? Uh, yes, that's a great one. Yes, yeah. Very powerful. That's the last one, I think. Yeah, but I think he was like in his 70s, and yeah. it looks like it was made by a 23-year-old yeah, on great. Adderall. Yeah. Like it's so, so <laughs> much great. crazy energy to it. He and, did- and that was one of those movies that those rarities, when you got those movies that grab you in the first minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was one of those ones. I mean, also, it was it's Sidney Lumet just going with, with his lifetime of skill, and then that cast. Yeah. 
Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, it's a wonderful so picture. Of course, you're into it. Yeah, he he his he wrote a book called Making Movies that is so kind of squirmingly honest about like he goes, I've done a couple of movies where I, you realize halfway through, well, this movie's going to suck. We didn't do it, but I got to finish it because. And then you watch previews, going, "Yep, this is this was yeah." Stick. And, and he, he never says what the movies are, but you can kind of guess. Matthew Broderick what, was sitting in that chair talking about family business. Oh, was he? And saying I, he didn't understand it, and he still doesn't. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's the one where, um, in the book, he he all but says because he goes, "I got all these huge stars." It was one of those things like it can't miss, and we're watching the early cuts. I'm like, "This is no one's going to go see." This. <laughs> Such and a bomb. And it was sense. weird. I guess Sean Connery was supposed to be Irish in that, even though he's doing a Scottish but accent. But he never doesn't do it. He's right. always a Scottish right. guy. All, yeah. And, and then, so he's yeah. got a, this strong Scottish accent, but he's Irish, and his son is Italian. Italian <laughs> And his grandson is Jewish. His son right. is Dustin Hoffman. Right. Yeah. And right. then his oh, it, his it was, son is Italian, but he converts for his wife, and that's how Matthew Broderick is Jewish. Oh yes, oh, yes, yes. God. Right. So what so so an Irish guy's an Irish guy's playing a Jew. The Jew's playing an Italian <laughs> guy, and the Scotsman's playing an Irishman. Yes. Yeah. This is you like got the it. setup to the shittiest joke. But it also wasn't the cast. It was one of those movies where you know De Niro was supposed to be. And, oh, he and was? It was a totally different cast. And, wow. And they just cobbled it together with... And they're pulling off this uh, criminal operation because of some Chinese guy <laughs> who... Uh, <laughs> yeah. B.D. Wong, I think. Yeah, I cannot yeah. even remember this. Oh, my God. I can't even remember this movie. Yeah, yeah. that's I a head scratch. It's one of those movies that you watch and you immediately forget. There's no, there's nothing to cling to. No. Nothing stays with you. No. And they all must have been so, oh, my God. I'm Because that was probably right after Connery won his Oscar. Also for playing an Irish guy with a Scottish Correct. accent. Still yes, won an Oscar. Yes. They're like, oh, well, Broderick's <laughs> father's in Dog Day. So he wanted to work with Lumet. James Broderick is the, he is? Is the cop. Oh, at the end. At the end. That it came, could you put your gun down? Correct. And then he shoots Kazao in the head. So he knew. So he was on the Dog Day set as a kid. And he knew Lumet. No, and they'd never kidding. worked together, and this was their chance to work together. I didn't. Okay. Yeah, but it it just didn't happen. Wow, that makes so much sense. But I still don't care. Movie's yeah. terrible. And, and yeah. I always <laughs> like Prince of the City because, unlike Serpico, which is a great movie, mm-hmm. Prince of the City really makes it more. Uh, you know, Serpico is black and white. Yeah. And Prince of the City, you go, you know, you're not sure who to side with. Right, and and even the the main guy, Treat Williams, clearly at the end doesn't even know, am I good or bad? Like he's yeah. just so adrift, and they he shoots it so well where he starts off with all those big wide shots, and the shots keep getting tighter and tighter till at the end you're just stuck. It's so claustrophobic watching that film, and it was also the first time that anyone looked at Jerry Orbach and went, "That's a cop." Yeah, because up to that right. point he was that's right. song and dance man. They're that's like, right. "No, that's right, cop." We, you and know, that face, and that, and then that was it. We love character actors like you love character actors. We had Tony Robertson here as in Serpico. No, that's we right. We love to get these guys in here. And we had Bruce Stern, and we had Tony Lobianco. I know you like, uh, oh, uh, what's Honey, the what's, Honeymoon Killers? Oh, yeah, the, the Cohen picture, too. Uh, the, the one with Andy Kaufman. Oh, 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 I thought you, uh, I got it. They said the Cohen brothers. No, the know, one, we, we the, had um, Larry, Larry Cohen, Cohen picture. God here. told me to. Yeah. Yeah, we had Larry, we had Larry Cohen, Cohen in here, on. too. Which I was think surreal. You, I think you already told the story in the show when 
when when he was at con he was at can with uh, Q the Wing Serpent correct and Roger Ebert went and saw it and and he, and he yes. comes out so you know the story yeah sees Larry and Arkoff right okay. <laughs> oh my God you have the most amazing method act, act acting job I've ever seen in the middle of all this shit and then Arkoff goes the shit was my idea. <laughs> It's a great story. And, like, proud of himself. Yeah, Yeah, of course. The great thing about when Larry Cohen was on this show, it's like you're listening to him and you're going, I think 99% of this is bullshit, but he's so much fun. (laughs) Like that nobody had a rifle in the opening scene when the guy's on the tower, when the sniper's on the tower in, in God Told Me To. And they and the prop guy doesn't bring a gun, and he's got something like six hundred extras yeah, oh yes. down in the street, and no gun. And he got on a bullhorn. And he said, "Does anybody have a rifle?" Yes. <laughs> oh my God. And some woman in the crowd said, "What we do," and ran home and got a rifle. And that was the rifle that they used in the movie. I do, but you hope these stories are true. I hope they are. I mean, I do know that he um, he told her about how when the the scene where Andy Kaufman is the cop. Who goes on the shooting spree? Yeah, he. They, it was. An, I guess. I guess they just went in guerrilla style in an in an actual parade kind of, and oh, Kaufman yeah. started taunting the parade goers, and they were going to like kill him, like they were going to start a fight, and then they had to get the scene done quickly. That I believe. I could see Andy Kaufman just fucking yeah. with these people, but yeah, it was. Um, I don't know. He gave a really Larry Cohen gave this really cool interview years ago where he said, you know, Superman, Superman never made sense to me because. He comes down to Earth in a spaceship in the 50s, and Ma and Pa can't find him. It's in Kansas, in America in the 50s. So they're going to take him to church every Sunday. And little baby Clark Kent's going to be sitting there, little kid Clark Kent. And they're talking about this guy named Jesus who comes out of the sky, who has powers and abilities that no one else has. And he's going to start going, well, I think I'm Jesus. I think that's who they're talking about. <laughs> and he wouldn't have become a reporter. Like, he would have started a religion or something. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah. That was such an interesting take. He's in L.A. That. You should look him up. You should take him to lunch and hang out with him. He's a lot of fun. Yeah, I would imagine. I think he'd spark I've you. met him at a couple of uh, things, and I have I think I got a card from him once, and I lost it, or I just, ugh. But uh, someday, hopefully, I'll get to hang with that. But he he just seems like a really, he's made some very weird moves. The stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Oh, and those black exploitation pictures are mm. crazy. Oh, black yeah. Caesar. Black Caesar. Yeah. And yeah. hell up in Harlem. Yeah, and right. he's got, yeah, listen to that episode for just, you know, they never got permits. <laughs> just didn't talk, I mean, real guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah. And there's one called Bone with Joyce Van Patten and Yafit Kodo that's very disturbing that he shot in his own house. Oh, Lord. And the whole movie's on YouTube. If you got nothing to do one night for two hours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a weird fever dream. But talk Done. about the stuff in the book, and it's kind of touching, you know, the, your your relationship with uh, with Sherman and, the, and your $5 a night. Film school. Yeah. The, I, I used the, to, the, the beloved New Beverly. <clears throat> I used to go to the New Beverly. Uh, now, it, you know, it's being renovated. Quentin Tarantino bought it. And he's, re, he, he's oh, totally no. refurbishing it. But back in the day, you could see a double feature every night for five bucks. And I just got a, a, a cheap film education. But I remember I would I would talk to Torgan, but he was always in the ticket booth. Like he was just this little face in the ticket booth, like this little Yoda figure. And I remember I went there the first time, May of 1995, to see... Ace in the Hole and Sunset Boulevard. That was my first double feature there. And then I went back. And I, I mean, I kept going every night. But then I remember four years into it, they were showing that double feature again. And I went to buy my ticket. And Sherman was like, oh, hey, Pat. And he goes, I thought you'd be showing me a screenplay by now. Like, it was his way of going, you need to go and do some stuff. Like, you've seen enough movies. Go make a movie. That's, like, kinda, like kinda, that's cool. Go write a movie. 
So it was that little, like he just kept track of, like he saw the world through that screen, but he remembered everyone that came in and out. And there was a, um, uh, back in the day when you'd go, a couple times I was there, uh, um, Lawrence Tierney would show up. And I was watching, <laughs> I was there watching Citizen Kane one day for that 900th time. And I'm half an hour into the movie, enjoying it. And this someone sits down behind me. I, I can hear the guy. And then um, he just starts, t- whoever this is, starts talking to the screen and about the movie. Like, look at the fat ass on that bitch. That guy, oh, he's, oh, you're kissing her, but everyone knows you're a fag. And, and I was going to, like, turn around and go, like, would you shut the fuck up? And it's Lawrence Tierney just rattling off, like, Lawrence. I knew that asshole, that fucking bitch. It's like, I saw this guy. And, and then it became great. Like, this is the best DVD commentary I've ever heard. And now I'm really, like, kind of digging it. And I, I get, like, half an hour of him just dishing on everyone and it was and, and when I say dishing it was just like and that motherfucker right there and that other fucking asshole and then his little handler came in some kid and was like oh Larry there you are come on we gotta go man and then Lawrence Lawrence Tierney stands up and says uh, I ain't never seen this cocksucker before it ain't bad <laughs> and then he let like he just saw half an hour of Citizen Kane out of context. That's not bad. Even though, according to him, that's all full of fags and bitches. That ass is all they got. Okay, just when the show was starting to get good, we're going to throw a monkey wrench into the works with this commercial word. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello everyone out there in radio podcast land. This is Kirk Hammett from Metallica and you're listening to Gilbert Godfrey's amazing colossal podcast. Run for your lives. Time to get back to Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal podcast. So let's go. You, you, <laughs> of course, a very important topic you brought up, mm-hmm. Sunset Boulevard. Oh, boy. Now, I got into a talk with, of all people, Jackie the Joke Man <laughs> about this. Oh, it yeah. was Jackie. That's right. Yeah. And, and you know, in the beginning of the movie... She's holding a funeral for her beloved pet chimp. Right. And story has I bet has you don't know it, where he's going here, Patton. No, I don't. Story has it that rich women back then, like especially in Hollywood where this depravity was going on, chimps were trained to perform cunnilingus. <laughs> on, so these women would buy trained chimps 
to perform cunnilingus on them. This is according to Jackie Martling. And, Jackie Martling. Mm-hmm. And 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 she but then I I looked it up on the internet. And they <laughs> wait, said, "Oh, wait, you look oh, that up." And, so, and, so you went to the verifiable source, yes, the internet, yes. to get the solid information. <laughs> let's back up. This could be bullshit. Let's go to the internet. <laughs> let's no bullshit. Let's, let's go to the internet. You so wanted it to be true. <laughs> where where they're reporting John Travolta died today. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's go check that out. That that old the old gray lady, the internet. The, okay, but hang on. Let's say that is true. Yeah. Let's say they were training chimps to perform coming. I'm willing to say it's but, true. Okay, but but when chimps get older, don't they go crazy and get feral and yeah. they'll like break people's jaws and eat their faces off? Like that, why why did we never hear about some actress? Getting killed by her <laughs> pussy eating chimp. Gil? Well, the studio <laughs> would fix bury it. With the fixers. <laughs> Eddie Maddox. They would set fire to the house she was in, and her corpse would be destroyed. Well, well, according, part of that story was that Wilder goes up to Gloria Swanson and gives her that piece of direction yes. at the beginning. Oh, what? yes, yes. yes. Wilder said, uh, Remember, you're fucking the chimp. <laughs> <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> Remember, you're fucking the chimp. <laughs> All right, we're losing the light quickly. <laughs> we're and, fucking. And, and you mentioned uh, Ace in the Hole, which was oh, also the terrific. great, the big carnival. Yeah, yeah, big carnival. Yeah. And also, you know, the slang term for that movie was why. Because it failed so horribly. Because he was riding such a high. Right. He's like, this is the movie I want to do. I've got control now. And they called it Ass in the Ringer. Because <laughs> it lost so much goddamn money. And it the was funny such a bomb. Thing is, it's, it became like then such a respect. Pretty ballsy thing. movie. Oh, God. It was so ballsy for its day. Yeah. And because it really is ahead of the time on talking about the media and how and, false and, and fake news and 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 yes. how the how the news is whatever you decide to make it we will just keep changing the story it was really i, I think it was just and, but it, he it it he he delivers the message with such a fucking sledgehammer because <laughs> Kirk Douglas is such an asshole with a no garlic pickles like he's just whole cast is great yeah oh that whole yeah the, the whole the, the guy from that played animal in stalag 17 who's just dying slowly in this goddamn mine yes leo we're waiting for you leo whatever they and, remember they're singing and to him. they're changing it where uh they have a way to rescue him early way quicker and he yeah and, and uh kurt douglas and the sheriff bury it because they want him in the mine longer they're making so much money. And when he slaps the wife Great. to make her cry for the news. Kirk Douglas was not afraid to play an asshole. No. You look at the bad and the beautiful oh and some, my of those, God. some of those performances. I think Mad City, I think that Travolta That was Hoffman a remake movie of movie is a Ace in the Hole remake. Yeah, it was an Ace in the Hole yeah. remake. Yeah. And not and very good. New. No. Yeah. Yeah, Travolta and Hoffman. Tell the story too, and it's it's a sweet no. story. Can you tell that Casablanca story about the new Beverly? Oh, this is going to make me so sad. Oh, you don't have to tell well, it. But it's sweet. It's uh, in the it book. It is sweet. Okay, yeah. Um, one night, the new Beverly, it was Friday night, raining. Go see Casablanca for my 20th time um, with all the other weirdos who, again, <laughs> you know, I look back on it now, I'm like, I was in my 20s. I, was, I wasn't bad looking. I could have been, but I was like, no, I want to be in the dark with these 80-year-old 
um, film freaks with their, <laughs> you know, just seeing this movie for a hundred times and and watching Casablanca and right near the, it's literally like 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 in a comedy sketch. It's right as they're saying goodbye at the airport. He goes, "I mean, listen, sweetheart, I promise you." And then the 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 uh, film broke at that moment, which is everyone's like, "Oh God!" But it was so bad for it to break at that moment. It was also funny, so people kind of started laughing and then. You could hear them fixing the projector, and they didn't turn the lights on. We're just sitting there, and everyone just started whistling as time goes by in the dark while they fixed it. The whole theater. I love that. On a rainy Friday night, there were maybe 30 of us in this theater. So just like, if you, if you could have done one of those montage scenes of like, it's 1996 in L.A., let's cut to this dance club, this bar, this movie premiere, this you know restaurant, and then these 30 people just alone in this little theater in the rain whistling and then just cut to the next thing. Like that was going on somewhere in the city that night. Like, there's just it's great. That, yeah, that's that the picture you paint is, in the book. It's, it's yeah, vivid. Yeah. It's now, vivid. Now it's funny because you talk about your childhood there or your teenage and 20s. Mm-hmm. And I remember during my teens, they used to have revival houses all over Manhattan. Oh, oh God. Wait a minute. What year was this? Like in the God. 70s or 60s? 60s and 70s? 41. Well, there was the Biograph. There was the Regency. Yeah. The there late, was the failure. Late 60s, early 70s was the heyday. They're all gone. Of revival theaters in New York, it was not St. Mark's Cinema, and I the, would, the the Waverly, Waverly, gone. and I would go to them a lot. I would catch old movies, uh, you know, old Marx Brothers movies or obscure films. And the funny thing is, now when I look back on it and picture myself going to those theaters, it makes me very sad. It kind of makes me sad too. Like, what was drawing me? into the darkness during the years when I should have been out in the sun. Like, like my, my <laughs> wife now, I've, I've remarried, and she was one of those people that, and she, she's an actress, and she's amazing. Her name is Meredith Salinger. She was, she was in Dream a Little Dream. Yes, of course. We she met backstage. Yeah. She, yes, you I, met I, backstage. I met her in the she room. was quite a hottie, as oh, I remember. S- still is. But, yeah. And, I, but be, I, in fact, in fact what? I, I'm sure I must have jerked off <laughs> to one of her movies. She'll be so pleased. Yeah. That, yeah, yes. that's a, so that's a J.D. Time, Salinger. Next yeah. time you're, <laughs> next time you're having sex with your oh, wife, I'll make sure to mention that. So <laughs> picture by the me, way, picture me is... jerking off, <laughs> sitting in oh a movie God. theater with my dick in my hands, jerking off to your wife while you're. As a matter of fact, next time you're having sex with your wife, imagine you're fucking me. For <laughs> You got Dave on that one. Yes, oh yes. Oh, my God. Th- for the rest oh. of your life, anytime you have sex uh, with your wife, you'll picture that you're really fucking wow. me. Wow, thanks. See you in 10 years, Erections. Um, <laughs> um, 10. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but, you know, she was... She didn't see a lot of movies because, no, is that, are you kidding? She's I was, making movies. I was making movies, but right. I was also at the beach, and I was, you know, going out with hot guys and enjoying life, and I was just in the dark. But but I just, but I love those little moments, these weird pockets of time. Like, I remember reading about there was some little coffee shop in the village back in the early 70s that, um, I forget what it was called, but during the day, um, Richard Pryor and George Carlin before they who were who they were. Oh, was that uh, would, Hanson's or something? Might have been, but they would they would they Hansen's would they would store. like do yeah. handoffs just doing stand up to whoever was sitting there, 
And it was like eight people. And they would then they would like pat and like people would just ignore them, like, the fuck is this shit? You know, because they were, you know, they were kind of going through their transformation. So again, you could do that montage of late sixties, early seventies, New York City where, you know, this amazing thing is going on on Broadway and there's a thing at the Met and this restaurant and you oh, know, yeah. this scene and then you cut to this little coffee shop and these two guys who are going to be giant someday it's great are eight people are just like oh god shut the hell up I'm you know like I just love those little moments that's we, what this show is about stuff we missed it really is yeah er- errors we missed out on and things we didn't we didn't actually get you know, to experience why weren't you there for that yeah someone pointed out that the hotel that I'm staying at there's a little bodega next door we were pulling up today, and they're like, "See that bodega?" I'm like, "Yeah." You go, that used to be Max's Kansas City. I'm like, "What?" Yep. It's literally Max. It was, and now it's a little bodega. New York's changed, my friend. Oh, uh, and you, and it will always. Every ten years, you'll come back, and half of it's gone. Are you worried about the the demise of movie theaters? As, as I'm like, worried now more about. I'm not as worried about the demise of movie theaters. I'm worried about the demise of just a basic knowledge of. Of just a basic outline of film history because it's going to let a lot of um, people that are audacious but not talented get away with rewarming stuff and being hailed as geniuses or being, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's, it'll be less, I mean, there will always be originality, but originality is going to have to fight harder and harder for air. But the thing that's really scaring me right now in LA are all these weird little uh, small business. Uh, stores that are run by people that aren't necessarily in it for the profit. It's almost like they have their collection of stuff on display. So there's like a weird little bookstore like Dark Delicacies or a little place like um, Secret Headquarters or House of Secrets or you know, or, or a, a, a little vintage store like Bearded Lady um, all along Magnolia. And, and what happened, like I was driving through Silver Lake where Silver Lake has all these great little vinyl record stores and eateries and little, you know, clothing stores and knickknack stores and at, at right near Rosemont and Sunset now there's a giant one of those three plexes with a Starbucks a Chipotle and a hamburger habit right smack in the middle of Silver Lake now in LA and East LA and I'm like that's the beginning of the end it's of all changed. the small businesses oh yeah once that thing lands think of that as like remember that movie the monolith monsters yeah those rocks and they would land and they would just start taking over the landscape that's what that is and then mom and be- pop businesses just will disappear because the the the, the uh, landlords go oh wait a minute but here's what sucks i have nothing against chipotle and starbucks great but they're they are accessible everywhere. Yeah. But the two blocks of Magnolia that have those weird little stores, that's the only place you can go there. And every week, no, they don't make crazy money during the week. But on the weekend, they do great because that's the only place you can go get them. And then people go shopping. Then they go to a Starbucks. And they want to gut all those stores and drop Starbucks in there. They want to drop a Starbucks half a mile from the Starbucks you were going to go to when you were done antiquing. Same thing's happening here on the I Upper East Side. Oh, it is? Yeah, sure. Sure. It was Yorkville. I mean, it was, you know, it was a, it was, oh, a, it was yeah. a German neighborhood and it was all mom and pop shops for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, until recently. And it's being driven out by that kind of stuff. And you see the, you know, so the bakery that was, that's been there since 1919 closes. It's just this, and, yeah, and, and it's slow, like, and they don't. And it bothers me like that, again, I have no problem with capitalism and profit, but it's like what Starbucks makes twenty billion a year, but someone in the world goes. But what if we made twenty one? How does that? How does twenty one change anything from twenty at that point? You've made it. You should actually relax. That, that's like that uh, part in Chinatown. How? Yeah. yeah. Like how much richer? Can how much? Yeah. How much better can you eat? Yeah. How much better can you eat 
what can you buy that you can already afford? <laughs> the future, Mister Gitz. <laughs> are those are those but, cool stores still there, like Larry Edmonds Bookshop in Hollywood and uh, Script City, and those but, places but, still but hanging like, on, hanging on by their fingertips? I'm well, sure. I, I, I was, remember too, like when I was at, in my teens and twenties, I would walk around the in the street, and they would junk stores. That you'd go in, you could kill your entire day in yeah. one of those stores. Yeah. Old bookstores where you could go and kill an entire yeah. oh, day. Oh, well, like, <clears throat> right, Strands is still there, but there Thank used God. to be yeah. about a yeah. hundred of these tiny bookstores around. But the thing that was, was, was great about those stores was not only were they selling books, they were also selling The Hunt. Of course. we Part of... Of, of filling yourself with endorphins is the hunt. Yeah. And we're yes. getting rid of the hunt. Record stores too. Yeah. And that's why I was I, I did a lot of stuff on Record Store Day, the whole vinyl yeah. thing. Like the oh, that's hunt. great. We'll talk about Because they're all holding on. It, the, Amoeba Records might be going away or might shrink, you know, and all these other places. So it really, I don't know, it, it gives me the heebie-jeebies a little bit because it, it makes me look at Noah Cross and try, at least Noah Cross was trying to build a future of water and whatever it was he was trying to build these people they don't even they don't even want to own the future they, they want to there is no future if yeah. everything is just chipotle starbucks hamburger habit chipotle starbucks is just boom boom and, that's it and i can easily see a day very nearby where there are no movie theaters absolutely oh, we're heading, I can we're see heading that. toward it we're heading there and that's really I moved really back scary from, i moved to new york i moved back to new york in, in 2003 from LA and I think at least 15 theaters have disappeared in the in the 13 years 14 years that I've been back I mean and none of those revival houses exist anymore oh, they, and then the, the goddamn Ziegfeld went away and, you and know which I, was, wait what it's gone yeah Ziegfeld's gone it's gone oh shit it's heartbreaking yeah and and nothing to replace it believe me I remember the Waverly would um Made that when 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 they had El Topo that the 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 legendary oh, yes. distributor sure distributor Ben Barinholtz yes and he, um, well, we worked with the Coens yeah, yeah. That he he right. but he famously it he took out newspaper ads the size of a postage stamp just said El Topo at midnight and then in the window of the no poster just a car, piece of cardboard El Topo at midnight no one knew what that meant and word of mouth just. That's how – because I remember there's a, there was a, a Simpsons writer named George Meyer that was like, you know, things that are just inherently good and interesting will catch on without – like th that's why – so when they have these gigantic ad campaigns for milk or the family, well, something's kind of weird about those. But something like yoga or some weird little – they have – there's no giant – there's no yoga council. It just – people do it and go, um, look – I know it's going to sound really weird me saying that it really works. It's great. Go do it. You know, it does work. It doesn't need the giant. It's the stuff that is inherently shitty that needs the giant push because it's not all that good. And and I noticed too in newspapers, which saying the word newspaper is sounds ancient. Oh my god! Yeah, there could, used to be a whole big section of. Ads for movies. I got some. You some fans them. have been sending those to me. They've been sending me old newspapers from the seventies yeah. and sixties mm. with the full page ads where there's like twenty. Oh. I'll, I'll share them with those. you. I'll there's share them with no you guys. They're great. Movie section and newspapers no. anymore. No. And yeah. There won't be well, like you said, everybody in tomorrow. you know soon everybody will have a theater in their in their house. The, yeah. the TVs are going or even worse. The, but then the home theater is going to go away because what's going to happen is that too. They're doing the VR thing where you can put a headset on and it creates the experience of being and you'll watch. 
you know, you'll plug in something the size of a cigarette pack, but it'll feel like you're sitting in the arc light or the Cinerama Dome. That's how big the screen will seem to you. And you'll have on noise-canceling headphones. You'll have this great sound. Now, look, fine. I, I'm not against anyone's amusement, but a movie, you will see a movie different. You'll see different things about it when you watch it with a bunch of people. Of course. There's nothing you'll like it. You'll see it all differently that, with a bunch of people. That That's the thing, that experience. Well, number one— uh, putting your shoes on and going to a movie theater. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then being in a movie theater where everyone laughs at the same time, screams at the same yeah. time. Or it, even when you're in a movie that's not working is so fascinating. When, you're, when there's a comedy and they've clearly landed what they thought was going to be a joke and the audience is like, uh, yeah, yes. Like that, to me, I love. It's a group thing. It's a group. It really is a group thing. Yeah. And then the, especially... The other thing I have missed about Revival, and I'm so jealous of you, you were, because not only did you have access to all these rep theaters, but you had access to Times Square and all those grindhouses yes. where oh, yeah. you never knew what was playing. Some weird thing that would, that would, like, there's, there's a guy, one of my favorite filmmakers, a guy named Andy Milligan. Andy Milligan made Torture Garden and The Rats Are Coming, The Werewolves Are Here, and um, Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde. He was the, um, the ghastly ones. He was the, he, he was, he made like Ed Wood, Look like Wes Anderson. His shit was so <laughs> awful. And sounds- half of his filmography is gone because he would make films for these grindhouse theaters. They would show them for the weekend, and then the distributor would, they would call the distributor going, where do we mail this back? And they're like, oh, we don't fucking toss it. We don't want it. We're not paying the postage for that shit. Just, you know, send us the money you made, and we're, we're done. I don't care. Well- and um, and he would uh, – so, so and, and, and he would just – so but there was no such thing as previewing it. A poster, nothing. Right, you walked right. in and the ghastly ones, the fuck is this? I, <laughs> so I those days are gone in too. Times yeah. Square, well, they would have porn and kung yeah. fu movies. But, so. but, but slasher movies like Maniac yes. or you could see Abel Ferrara pictures or, like Driller Killer or, I, or stuff I saw like that. In Times, <laughs> 45. In Times Square, I saw it's all gone. Make Them Die Slowly. Yes, wait a minute. Catch Them and Kill Them. Make Which them die I'm, slowly I'm is, the, say, is the jungle one, like the cannibals? Yes, yeah. both yes. of them. Both of them yeah. would have like uh, a half a minute scene in Ma- Manhattan, and then they'd go to the jungle with actual tribes. Yeah, yeah. And and I basically, I think the correct term is uh, fucking guineas. <laughs> He's obsessed with these Italian directors who are working under in the states under under pseudonyms. Well, who was? Well, I mean, initially they made Doctor Butcher. Th- they made Sergio Leone work under a pseudonym. Yes. they didn't let him use his own name. Yes, yes. But yeah, there was this guy that was the ki- he was the asylum films of his time. He did The Visitor and Tentacles, and where he would see a movie that was coming out, was gonna be, and he would very quickly crank out a. Like, an imitation. Like, an imitation. Yeah. And this movie called The Visitor that was his, it's The Exorcist, but also Close Encounters. It was a, he like slapped together three fucking Don't even know this movies. Picture. And the and the goddamn cast, it's like um, uh, uh, um, Glenn Ford and John Huston. It is the nuttiest goddamn movie. It's called The Visitor. You ha- oh, you have to go see I know a movie guy. called The Night Visitor. Do you know this no, picture with no, Max von Sydow? No. About a guy who escapes from a mental hospital at night and commits killings and then sneaks back into the mental hospital? <laughs> you know this picture? Familiar. Sounds no, great. Also worth seeing. Now, now, a more recent film that's one of these, like, low budget, but let's see what movies work and slap them together. 
there's one movie, it has to do with finding lost footage. And it's it's after the Blair Witch Project uh-huh. came out. Well, there were a ton of those oh, after the Blair Witch. Witch. So they open, found open water. lost footage. So it's all very shaky, mm-hmm. cheap camera work. And where they're stuck in a place with dinosaurs. So it's a, it's a hybrid of Blair Witch and Jurassic Park. Holy shit. Yeah. This isn't Roger Corman's Carnosaur, is it? No. Carnosaur no, no. is the movie with... Uh, the, I think Clint Howard's in Carnosaur, yeah, hasn't and, he? And he probably is. <laughs> I think he is. And, I know you got a Clint what, Howard thing. What's your name? Laura Dern. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we had Corman here too, which was oh, that must have been amazing. Surreal. Just to have Corman and 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 Larry Cohen and Dick Miller. Wait a minute, Laura Dern wasn't in Carnosaur, was she? Well, wait, wait, no, because which she was, one's the Jurassic? Park? That's Laura that's Dern Laura and Dern. Sam Neill. Is it Diane? Or what's her name? Diane Ladd, her mother is in Carnosaur. Oh, yeah, maybe. is her mom in Carnosaur? Yeah, I think she's the mad scientist. And yeah, well, okay. And <laughs> sometime in this next decade, Paul will come up with that. But you know, again, I there were these little. I remember there was this movie I was obsessed with for years to the point where I did a bit about it called Deathbed, the bed that eats, and it's about a bed that indeed is obsessed possessed by a demon, and when people fuck on the bed, the bed eats them. It was it was a way to get like soft core, and then they would the people would just get dissolved by the bed, mm-hmm. and um, and, and it was this legendary like lost film, and but then someone found a picture of Times Square, one of these grant with deathbed on the marquee, which probably played for a day, and then vanished, and then eventually it showed up again like ten years, what showed up like five or six years ago on DVD, and I did a screening of it at the Alamo Draft House just so that I could see it, and like I should see this movie. It's so they, fucking bad. There was some movie. Uh, believe it or not, low budget, uh, and and it had to do with a deadly a, a girl with this deadly vagina that had teeth. It was called it. teeth. Yeah, oh, teeth. Movie was okay. called teeth, and her vagina grew teeth. Yes, and vagina. Killed- de- what do they call that? Vagina dentata. Vagina dentata. Right. Thanks, uh, Sigmund Freud. Right. Yeah, all, there's Sounds a lot like of, the I mean, Lion King song. Yeah. <laughs> so, like the sci-fi channel, <laughs> Vagina and Tata. What is that? <laughs> well, Diane Ladd, we have a... Uh, we Diane have a, Ladd. Yes, thank oh, you. Oh, my Lord. Thank you, crack research team. Um, But yeah, the, uh, you, you know, places like the Asylum, you, and, and then also just people that are doing direct-to-video stuff, that, that's that's the, the new grind, Grindhouse now, yeah. you know. And also, like, there's stuff... Netflix has this sort of hidden basement now, uh, when you go searching for horror and sci-fi, there's suddenly, if you go like to row eight or nine, it's suddenly these movies, you're like, where the fuck did this come from? And you give it a check out. It's pretty cool. By the way, I, I remember being in Times Square. And and they still, the idea of double features, that's in the, gone. Yeah, also gone. Yeah. But there was a, I wish to Christ I had <laughs> brought a camera. <laughs> With me, yeah, because there was a double feature of Ford Fairlane and Problem Child. Oh my God! So it was wow, like a, so a Gilbert, Gilbert Gottfried extravaganza. Wow, that's disturbing. There's wow. there, there are some moments in in Ford Fairlane. My brother was pointing out to me that the movie Ford Fairlane doesn't work, but <laughs> there are these individual moments that are so goddamn funny. When he after he comes and sees you. And I remember because the exterior is shot in front of the Directors Guild building on Sunset. It's like, it's like if the camera panned over, he'd be across from the Laugh Factory. Yes. And you've just said, 
I'll give you like a thousand dollars, but you only give him. You go no, no dessert till after you finish. You only give him a hundred, and then he walks out, and it's his voice where he goes, "Money, money, money, money!" Oh money, yeah, money. <laughs> and he does this weird little like kind of uh, Dutch kick. There, it, it's the weirdest moment, and it makes me laugh so hard every time. <laughs> It's just out of nowhere. I saw you and Karen, your friend Karen, doing the uh, grabbing the, the the blast of silence where they turned you loose yes. in the uh, in the Academy's Got film. Got to go to Ar- the Academy Archives, Archives and go watch yeah. Blast of Silence. Um, yeah. yeah, they're going to let me start doing that again. Uh, you know, the TCM is doing their um, their big film festival. They're they're opening their vault, and the thing that they're showing this Saturday, but I don't think I can see it because it's at midnight and have a very early Sunday. Is one of my favorite movies. It's a Timothy Carey film. Oh, I know this picture. You know it. it oh, God. What John Cassavetti's favorite yes. comedy. Yes, yes, yes. The World's Greatest Sinner. Right. World's Greatest Sinner is this movie. Gilbert, you have to see this goddamn movie. <laughs> it's Timothy Carey, um, who is a fucking lunatic, and he wrote, produced, shot, starred in, directed, edited this movie. It took him five years to make. He would make it piecemeal. He would shoot some... And he would kind of, so he kind of. It's legendary. It's legendary. Yeah. And it's this black movie about a guy who, who decides he's got an insurance salesman. Who decides he's got and forms a rock and roll band, forms a religion. And um, it, and, and the soundtrack is was done by a then 18-year-old. I used to know this. Give me a hint. Uh, I, I can't really think of a hint. I'm just going to okay. tell you. Frank Zappa. Yes. And uh, it is it is so goddamn bonkers, but really, really funny. Okay, we'll watch that one. World's Greatest Sinner. You'll love it. See, now now this is something also that gets me. It's like years ago, they could make these weird films that are totally out there. Like Spider Baby. Yeah. Oh, God, I love Spider Baby so much. Could have got him on the show. You did? We're going to. Oh, God. And and it's like now when they make a movie that looks like it's going to be weird and out there, you know they made it. Totally, they were right. No, yeah, like the world's greatest sinner, Timothy Carey thinks he is making a serious statement on our times, and he just he's a he's a goddamn lunatic. Like, but (laughs) but he does not think he's making a crazy movie. He does. He's not tongue in cheek. He's not trying to be funny, and that's what makes it so amazing. That's like a Spider Baby, a subgenre of crackpot movies. Yeah, movies made by by guys who think they're visionaries, deadly serious. Yes, yeah, like well, obviously the room. The, oh God, would be the, the grand, maybe the granddaddy all, all of All of that. Neil Breen's stuff is amazing. Neil, Neil Breen, um, I can't think of a type. Look up Neil Breen. Okay, N-E-I-L. not familiar, but I'm writing are, it down. He is the Tommy Wiseau of, uh, okay. oh boy. Writing it down. Another star and director. And then there's a guy, oh, what the hell is his name? He made a movie called, it's either called Road to Revenge, but it's also called Get Even, but the spacing on the title, he <laughs> squashes it together. So the title card says Get Even. <laughs> and okay, he look these is, up. oh my god you have to it, it they're they're Get amazing classic total vanity projects but also i'm i'm bringing the masses something that yes. will change the world yes and you watch it and go what the fuck is wrong with this by the person? way both you guys did tcm essentials what did you pick for your with, essentials okay. late great robert yeah, I osborne did it with Ro- so did great I. robert yeah, osborne mm. he was terrific oh man he was what so cool lovely guy so cool and, oh and and my movies were uh, the Conversation. There you go. Freaks. Well, because you're such a huge Shields and Yarnell fan. <laughs> more they're, more, they're, they're more the Yarnell than they're Shields. The, yeah, they're the mimes in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. With Cindy Williams. Yeah. With Cindy so, Williams. Right, very good. Mm-hmm. The Conversation. Forgotten that. Freaks. Uh, 
Uh, By the way, Freaks was one of the. It was the only time in a, in a movie because I've been I've been to a lot of movies where I've seen parents just bring a kid. Yes, and then you want to go. I don't want to be the asshole that goes. Don't have your fucking kid in here. Yeah, I went to see Maniac mm-hmm. at midnight, and there was a guy holding a baby. William oh. Lustig, and and William <laughs> Lustig introduced the film. He goes, "Thank you all for coming out. Uh, we made this movie back in 1979 on a wing and a prayer." Uh, Joe Spinell, and then someone went, Joe Spinell fucking rules! He was, God bless you, he, he's dead now. So after the movie, I'll be in the lobby. I might be in the lobby. Hang on. Now I'm leaving. All right, enjoy the movie. That was his introduction for the film. Anyway. Oh, the ahead. other ones, of my, the original of Mice and Men. With Lon Chaney. With Chaney, yes. Jr. And and, uh, and talk the about strange films, yeah. The Swimmer with John oh. Lancaster, and and a, and a very young Joan Rivers, and, and it's based on a John Cheever short story or a John uh, yes, Updike short yes, story. Yes, Cheever. John Cheever. Cheever. That movie's incredible, and and that was one of those movies. It's weird, but not with that self conscious sense of weirdness. It's one of those that. It, it's so different. It draws you in. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You can't you 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 can't turn it off. And it's got that actor in it from when we do a whole show talking about Chuck McCann in the Right Guard commercials. That oh, Chuck that McCann, guy whose name I don't know. Uh, Bill Fiore. Bill Fiore, very good. A terrific character. My God, actor, you and he's me. in that. Yeah, of, I cannot picture him. He's Chuck like McCann did these commercials sack. for Right Guard a million years ago. Oh, Hi, guy. He would open his medicine chest, and, there was, <laughs> and, the, and the, the, the neighbor was on the other side of the medicine chest. And that was Fiori. Fiori. It was this guy, Bill Fiore. It was like a Gino Conforti type. Oh, okay. I, oh, I, I, when you were talking about um, uh, uh, Jane, uh, Tierney. Oh, boy. Uh, I, I once met um, Alice Cooper. And who became friends with Groucho Marx. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. And he said the two of them would watch The Late Show together. Oh, wow. And Groucho would be sitting there, he said, going, you see that actor (laughs) over in that scene? He was a big fag. (laughs) (laughs) You doing old Groucho with Uh, poor Dick Cavett hanging on every word like, please get to a joke. And the guy, and you, what, how do you describe him? My favorite description was he's skinny, but he somehow still has a pot belly. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> In Ryder. Oh, God. Oh, but the other, you mentioned freaks. That was the only, that was the one time where there was a guy behind me with a kid. It was at the old silent movie theater before it came, came to Center Family. It was one time, one time when I was like, and I wasn't being mean about it. I'm like, your kid was like eight. I'm like, you should take your kid home. He shouldn't yes. watch this. And, and I'm not. And he's like, "Oh, it's an old movie." I'm like, "This is not what you think it is, and it's really going to mess him up." I'm just telling you. And I think they stayed for about 15 minutes, and the kid was like, "I want to go." The the whole movie oh, of God. freaks, even when it's not a scary scene, it's still oh, scary. It's disturbing. Oh, that that through the long shot of of the woman out in the woods with them, and they're just kind of frolicking around. Yeah. is so disturbing. Oh my god, so yeah. disturbing. It, Oh, God. What were the movies you picked before we lose track of it? Oh, uh, really quickly, uh, 310 to Yuma. Oh, it's a good one. The Glenn Ford Glenn, original. Glenn Ford and right. uh, uh, Van, Van Heflin. Heflin, which basically the whole movie is about an older gay dude who is his, sick of his uh, young rough trade, and he wants to settle down with another rugged old bear, and that he tries to seduce Van Heflin. If you watch it, I mean, yeah. it's, it's he's lying in the bridal suite. 
up in the bed just going, why don't you just join me and my gang? And his, his Glenn Ford's attendant is this guy, skinny blonde guy, all in black leather. And it looks like this little like rent boy. It was it's the weirdest, and it's an yeah, Elmore Leonard script. That's right. Yeah, they remade it not not as not too well. It, with it, Russell, actually, they Russell remade Crow. it really well, but it, it was more like oh, was it? you know um, j- just rugged, manly, violent. But the original for the fifties, and then it had the um, great song um, sung by um, the guy that sang Blazing Saddles, Judge uh, Frankie Lane. Frankie Lane. Yeah. Uh, so I showed that. I showed um, uh, the. Uh, Oh God! Why am I blanking? Um, kind hearts and coronets. Oh, that's wonderful. Which is uh, Alec Guinness uh, playing seven different assholes being killed off by an even bigger asshole. And then I uh, showed these this Colombian film called The Wind Journeys. Worst title for a great movie is made in the early aughts about a guy who's convinced he has the devil's accordion and must travel to the edge of the world and throw it off. And Jesus. they just. And he just – it's the low-budget shot in Colombia as he travels through the landscape, and it's so beautiful. And he's got this accordion. He believes it's the devil's accordion, and it makes him do weird stuff. It's brilliant. And then this Belgian comedy called Ultra about these two douchebags. One of them is a stoner that drives a tractor combine. The other one is a professor at some shitty college, and they hate each other. They get into this huge fight out in this field, and the combine like malfunctions and crushes both of them. It makes them both quadriplegics. And then they travel across Belgium in these little motorized wheelchairs to go to the company Ultra that built the farm equipment to sue them. And you follow these two, and they become even, they're paralyzed, and they're even bigger assholes now. And it's so, it's like this classic Laurel and Hardy comedy, but they're in these little, and you see these long shots, them just buzzing along these little, it's, I, I'm not doing it justice, but it's so funny. Where do you find these offbeat pictures? These, these, uh, uh, I mean, there's this, there's this subscription service called film movement where every month okay. they go to film festivals and they find really cool films that get all this attention. You, you've seen this, you go to a film festival, film gets all these awards, doesn't get any distribution. So they, every month they send you a new film. And they send you really interesting stuff. They sent me Ultra. And, I'm writing uh, these down. Wind Journey sounds like Wind a, They sounds, should have called sounds, it the Devil's Accordion. That sounds like a Herzog thing. It, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Pretty out there. Yeah. And then Ultra, A-A-L-T-R-A. Let Those, me ask you real quick a couple of questions from, yes. from listeners. Oh, we're God. Di- we're dying to ask you questions. I'll go quick. Chris Hankinson, uh, how is production on MST3000 going? We are starting next week, and that's all I can say. Okay. We don't want to talk about the movies that we're doing. Conniff was here. but we're do- Oh, he was. Right in that seat. But, yeah. uh, okay, but we, we're doing some pretty interesting films this time around. The, the, the last season we did, season 11, there's a film in there called Carnival Magic. My brother was a writer on that show, and he was like, I'm going to commit suicide <laughs> if I have to watch this movie because he was writing the jokes. I came in one day, and he was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill myself. I, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. Your brother, Matt. My brother, Matt. Funny guy and a great Twitter feed. Funny guy, great by the Twitter way. account. This is quick from Big Daddy. Uh, Patton, welcome to the GGACP universe. <laughs> uh, you poor man. Uh, you said Repo Man was a game-changing inspiration. Yes. Uh, can you talk a little bit about either Repo Man, Barbarossa, or Richard Pryor live in concert? Uh, well, Richard Pryor live in concert just goes without saying. It was what made me go, oh, you can... A comedian is like watching a movie, a really good one. Right. It's just as good as seeing a movie because of all the little I images. I saw it in the theater. Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, uh, 
Uh, now, now, when when you saw that film, <laughs> were you aware that Marlon Brando <laughs> fucked Richard Pryor in the ass? You know what? It was weird. I saw that <laughs> movie when that I was 11, and as, as little as I knew, I could sense. I was like, you know what? This is going to sound really weird coming out of an 11-year-old. Pretty sure that guy was fucked by Marlon Brando. He has a fucked wow. by Marlon Brando vibe coming off of him. You're a hip 11-year-old. When you were a little kid, you said, is that... Marlon Brando's cum <laughs> dripping down Richard Pryor's leg. Is that Kurt's cum on on Pryor? He's got Kurt's cum on him. Oh. Um, Repo Man was just that thing of it, it hit me right at the right time. I'm a teenager. I'm in the suburbs. I'm bored. Um, I, I discovered punk way too late. And just that movie about having a job where you get to be an asshole to other people, that was where that was where my head was. You just take stuff from people and they can't yeah. do anything about it. And then somehow there's aliens and, and it also was like it it was it's shot in the shittiest parts of LA, but it makes them look so beautiful. You just want to go live I don't know, that movie is just I, I wanna live in that movie. As grimy and horrible as it is. And and Harry Dean Stanton is nonstop. We love Harry Dean Stanton. Oh my god, he's so wish funny. we'd have gotten him here, but I heard him on Benson's <laughs> podcast and he basically just he was on Doug Love's movies at a live episode. Do you know about this? No. Oh, you can track it down. And he basically sat there and, and gave monosyllabic responses yeah. for about an hour. So uh, I could totally see we that. We didn't pursue it. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this isn't going to go anywhere. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. I just got to ask you quick about Ratatouille. Oh, uh, boy. W- uh, w- and Mike Giacchino's coming here, by the way, too, oh. in a couple of uh, weeks. Uh, I'll just, yeah, the rat is anti-Semitic. And there's uh, enough yeah, clues. Let Gilbert, yeah. yeah, let Gilbert do his <laughs> Well, that, that's so it'll appeal to the masses. <laughs> <laughs> now, I can't say anything sentimental. Oh, God, or, go ahead. Or talk Come about on. how goddamn good it is. And it, how well it holds up. I mean, it's I, it's it's just it is so goddamn good. I mean, uh, not a false move. Not no, a false no, moment. no, not a false moment. Not a uh, none of the stakes are ever false. Um, at Brad Bird is just is so they're rats, and, and you're rooting for these goddamn rats. And he went out of his way to make them. Look and act like rats. They, didn't they, they study sound like rats. rats. They, huh? they didn't, weren't they well, studying? Yeah, of course. The, the they, animators were studied rats. Yeah. Studied yeah. kitchens. They studied. They went and they built a separate computer program so that the tiles in the kitchen would all be uneven because they would go to these great kitchens. All the tiles were uneven, and they made sure that it wasn't this nice grid. They. I had a friend who was a chef. He's like, oh my god! In the background, there's always a pot of uh, potatoes and water, which every. Restaurant just they always have potatoes soaking in water, ready to go. That's what restaurants have. It's a great like they got all these little, but they're just little throwaway background details. It's a great movie about creativity, about, about and the, yeah, and, and how and it, individuality. You can't decide where creativity is going to land, and when if it lands someplace weird, help it out. Help it out if it lands someplace weird. It's and yeah. that whole cast. I have to say, and just watching it again last night, Ian Holm and you and Janine, oh, Christ and Brad and Peter O'Toole. They the animators would have fights. They would draw lots to see who got to animate Peter O'Toole's lines because they played me his dialogue years before they animated it. I spent two years on that, and so when were you was, always alone? By the way, because I know Gilbert was in the booth because Gilbert didn't interact with Robin Williams. Yeah, no, I was most, always alone. I was most I, most of what, what most, I would do it alone. Most voiceover, you are alone. Yeah, yeah. and I, 
Sometimes I would do it with Jonathan Freeman, who was the who was Jafar. Oh, oh, because you're going back and forth. And, yeah, but even then, when you're with someone, they don't want you overlapping your dialogue. No, and, right. It, no. You're still very much doing it and, by yourself. And that's what always gets me when I hear these stories. Oh God, when Robin and Gilbert were together in that sound booth, <laughs> that would be. Cr- and I thought I never ran into him once no, during no. the making. Yeah. I, I, most most voice I do a lot of voiceover and I'm always alone. But I, I heard alone. the Simpsons, or at least they used to do it like an old radio show. They maybe they did at the beginning, but and also the, think of when they were starting out. I mean, digital technology, recording technology. I, you can record shows anywhere. I, you know, when I there's a show that I do for Sci-Fi called Happy, where I do it over Skype. You know, with direct. So it, it it's all keeps changing. You can do it so that you know. And I think a good actor can, even out of context, can figure out where the how the line should be and how it should land. And I had Brad Bird directing me, so it, he really knew exactly what he wanted. He, he had the whole movie in his head, and he knew what the other performance would be like and how they'd bounce off of each other. You show a lot of range. I mean, I'm watching the scene last night in the sewer. Oh when you man! Start, when you're turning the page, and 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 Gusto is coming alive off of the, off of the cookbook, and and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's really, and also the the scene where. Um, he uh, uh, is is kind of breaking off with his family. He thinks it, it's one or the other, and that's yeah. really, really sad. Yeah. Yeah. The world we live in belongs to the enemy. We must live carefully. We look out for our own kind, Remy. When all is said and done, we're all we've got. No. What? No. Dad, I don't believe it. You're telling me that the future is, can only be, more of this? This is the way things are. You can't change nature. Change is nature, Dad. The part that we can influence. And it starts when we decide. Where are you going? With luck, forward. Terrific performance. How did, how did he heard you in a? In a he was a driving in a, around in his car. In his car, they they were having trouble casting the lead. I didn't know they brought me in for the lead. But I was driving around. He was driving around his car. They played a bit of mine from my first album, where I'm talking about steakhouses. And it's very filthy. Uh, talk about a gravy pipe going up your ass, and this is all, <laughs> all horrible. So he says, but he was like, "That's the voice I right. want," and he did. And I, I've never seen it, but he apparently he said, he said he made a pencil test of Remy doing that routine, and he showed it to the Disney people, and they were like, "Is he going to curse?" Like, I'm like, no, he's not going. He's going to. It'll be his voice doing the dialogue, and then they brought me in for a couple of reads. I thought I was just coming in to read for a rat. I did not know I was coming in for the lead. And right. then after a couple weeks, they're like, okay, you're Remy. And I go, and who's Remy? And they're like, the rat that's cooking. I'm like, wait, what? And it was. It went from, you know, I pop up on shows to I'm going to be the lead in a Pixar. No, you, you, re- you referenced in the book when you went to see Toy Story that you had no idea. You say no 12 idea. years into the future if I had any idea that I was going to be no, Wouldn't st- have believed it. Could, in a Pixar also, movie. I was just like, I thought... Toy Story was this brilliant one-off, and I didn't know that they would build this empire of brilliant films. You know what I mean? Like you see it; they're and, all so good. And Toy Story Two has has the scene that always, you know, the um, John Cusack scene. Oh 
God, yeah. I can't even think about that. Me it neither. makes me cry so hard. Yeah. You, you know, they're all good. What, yeah. I always think, like, when I did Aladdin, it's like, had that been done, like, maybe a year later, it would have been like, uh, Tom Cruise would have been the parrot. (laughs) (laughs) Leonardo DiCaprio would be Jafar. Right. Yeah, that's the one thing about really good animation is they don't necessarily go for a celebrity because a celebrity voice doesn't really give you any value unless they're good. I'm not saying never use a celebrity. It's not like Eddie Murphy is worth his weight in diamonds as a voiceover actor. My God. He's yeah. amazing. Um, Antonio Banderas is an amazing voiceover actor. But there's other huge stars that they brought in to do voiceover, and it, eh, and you it, spent too much money, and, and you didn't you wanted the name, but then they can't actually sustain a character. And it's like kids watching the movie don't know who they these don't actors care. are. And they can bring in, look, what's weird is voiceover is very, very, just like live acting is, sometimes a brilliant live actor ends up being a terrible voiceover actor. It has nothing to do with their skills as an actor. It's just a different. I've, I I don't want to name names, but there's been some because I did a lot of punch up on animated movies. And there's been a couple where they brought in some pretty big, brilliant actors. And you're like, oh boy, did you guys waste your money? This person did not deliver. This was not, you know. Whereas then there's other times where you're like, again, going back to Eddie Murphy is yeah, just amazing as a voiceover actor. Can't believe he. I can't believe what has he done? He did Mulan and he did the Shrek movies. Is that it? I that's think, insane. And I, then he did the PJs for Fox. But right, I think that's Why isn't it. he constantly doing voiceover? He's so good. <laughs> Maybe we need an Iago Remy movie. <laughs> uh, in the time we have left. Oh, are we done? Mr. Oswalt. Oh. Would you like Listeners, to- I'm so sorry you've gone on this journey with us. <laughs> this really went actually, nowhere, did it? I think this is actually a good show. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you want to talk about... You can talk about... I'm going to give you your choice. You can tell uh, those uh, those funny Blade stories. The, the stuff about Wesley Snipes is fucking hilarious. I'm going to lay off of those. I, now I feel bad. He was going through such a bad time. Okay, I'm like, let's not I feel do like, that. I feel like in the future, I'm going to be doing some movie where I have some kind of crazy meltdown. There's going to be some guy going, just writing it all down. For all I know, he was having a horrible week. You want to tell us about so tell us that one <laughs> <laughs> instead would you like to talk about working with the great jerry stiller oh jesus well i mean jerry stiller was he was great although sometimes and i don't think he meant to do this but his his way of reading lines was so inherently funny that sometimes he would get a laugh on lines that he kind of needed to not get a laugh on because it would hurt the joke after it like the way he would come in and go, "Hello, children," but it was always so weird that would get a laugh. He's like, "No, that's to just set the scene." Yeah, <laughs> yes. like he would get a laugh because he and he did, he did a he did a read one time on a line about he was with a bunch of he goes, I, I remember I was hanging out with a bunch of bikers in the '60s, but that didn't it was the line was, but that didn't last long because they treated me very badly. But the way he read it, he goes, but that didn't last long because they treated me. Very badly. Like, like he, he, like, put his head back, and you see him live this whole, which is, and it was so disturbing that they went, let's do that again, and don't take that, because that pause made the line not funny. It made it creepy. It made it, it was hilarious to me, but the audience was like, I, oh, wait, wait a minute, what is he referencing? So it was just that weird, and then he also just, like, he was in so many movies that I loved, you know, like, you know. Uh, was was he was in Lovers and Other Strangers? Yeah, he's got a oh, part. Yeah. He's in Taking of Pelham Taking One Two of Three, Pelham, which 
all of his dialogue he improvised. Oh, man. I None didn't of that know was that. in the script. Yeah. That's cool. And, and the reason he improvised it, he says, because at one time he blew a line. It's when Matthew comes in and goes, this is Rico Patron on the weekends. He works for the mafia. Uh, Rico, tell these gentlemen the exciting things that are happening in the Transit Authority. And then he kind of looked up at it from his, he goes, uh, uh, he goes, well, last week on the Ninth Street Station, we thought we had a bomb. It turned out to be a cantaloupe. <laughs> and and then he goes, all right, thanks, Rico. And he just walks away. And that was all. And then the director was like, just say whatever the hell you want. Yeah. So then he just kept riffing that whole thing about even great men have to pee. I like how you said you learned to act on that show because you kept waiting uh, to get the axe. Oh, my God. Well, the first two seasons, I was so bad. I was so bad. And the two things that saved me were I really started honing in on Kevin James, who is a brilliant TV actor. And I don't say that to diminish him. Mm-hmm. Especially sitcom acting is so fucking hard to do because it's so unnatural it's hard to make it seem natural and he could he had that jackie gleason danny devito kind of thing where he could make it you know make bigness what seem like very real yeah and so i had that going for me and then i also had i had this amazing weed connection this i had this <laughs> guy um i was friends with this guy that that grew this legendary weed out in the midwest and he had moved to la and um one of the show creators was a huge pothead and i would bring this weed in i would always bring him a little bit of the weed and he was like oh i you know so i i feel like partially he kept me around because i had this really good weed and it gave me the time to learn how to act before i jump off voiceovers because mm-hmm. i just wanted to go back to it because there was something i lost on one of my cards this is kind of interesting you both played dc comics villains in Did voiceover we? you played the toy maker yes in a batman cartoon mm-hmm. and gilbert i was okay i was two you were two yeah in the Superboy series. Let me guess, uh, Mr. Mixelplex. How'd you know? I played Mr. I just had to be. <laughs> that voice, come I on. Have, I've been that in a bunch of uh, No Superman kidding. Tim Daly, the Tim Daly Superman. Yeah, the yeah. Tim Daly one. And I was also in the uh, Superboy series. I did two episodes where I was knick-knack Master of Toys. What? Yeah. So you both played evil toy makers. Yeah, oh my yes. god. On uh, DC Comics properties. Yes. Well, I played the toy what, what did I play again? I'm so, oh my god. Toy maker? Toy maker, but then I also in a college humor short, I played the penguin. Did you? In a live action short, I played the penguin. And it was this really cool series called Badman and it's um uh uh oh my why am I blanking on his name? Pete Holmes. Played Batman, but Batman Dave's is basically like, out. yeah, basically he's basically like like brain damage. He's like the dumbest human being on the planet, but he does that voice. Oh my god, I'm so, you know, he does the the uh, uh, Christian Bale voice, and and they do, and and I would say like like a Christopher Nolan version of what the Penguin would look like if he had used him in the movie. So it's a funny scene, but the makeup is so like. Holy shit, someone should actually do this. Oh, wow. It's really cool. You can look it up online. It's a very funny sketch. I, when we, one of my, my happiest moments, we had on Adam West. Yes. Oh, man. Adam on the podcast. And he said to me, he goes, you know, <laughs> you would have made a great penguin. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought, wow. And maybe a great Riddler. Yeah. Maybe a great Riddler. Well, there's a rumor. Yeah. A very you strange know, Riddler. Um. Harlan Ellison pitched an outline for an episode of Batman that would have had Two-Face in it. Yes. But it was apparently, they thought it was too gruesome and they didn't do it. And the rumor was they were going to, at the time, a very young Clint Eastwood was going to play Two-Face, going to play Harvey Dent. Yeah. That was the rumor. Do you know Harlan? 
Yes. Yeah. Isn't I'm going to go visit him next week. Isn't he interesting? How's he doing? Uh, he, his, his mind is so goddamn sharp. He's, his, you know, he's doing some physical therapy. His body's kind of frail, but he, he just does not lose a goddamn beat. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just from pure orneriness. He just stays sharp because he's, he's so angry all he's the time. He's the best. But a, he's so hilarious. Well, I asked for selfish reasons because we thought about having him on here. Oh, boy, that'd be great yeah. to talk to him. I mean, the God, the stories that guy has. Yes. Well, and he was also a crooner. He was? The lounge singer. Yes. Did I know he, he was a trumpet player. I didn't yeah. know he sang. He sang. He'll tell you about it. I know he used to also ghostwrite stuff for Lenny Bruce I back in the day. Too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We should get Harlan Ellison on here. Oh, yeah. Find, one, of the on great, the one of the great storytellers. Oh. He, this, one of the guys we'll told me so many stories, but he did a, when he wrote City on the Edge of Forever for um, uh, Star Dark Trek. Trek. He had to get approval, script approval from William Shatner. And he, he claims William Shatner rode over to his house on a motorcycle, parked in the driveway, read the script in the driveway, but counted that he had more lines than Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> Done. Great. Got his motorcycle. <laughs> Which makes, if, if that is, A, I don't even think that's true. A, I want it to be true. And if it is true, it makes me love him even more. Yes. I, I spent a so Thanksgiving with Harlan Ellison and Len Wein. Oh, which was no, really? The late, great Len Wein. At yeah. Ellison Wonderland or at Len's No, at house? Len's house. I'll tell you about oh. it. I'll tell you about it. When have we're you been like, to Ellison Wonderland? I have not had the pleasure. Dude. With, the, with the secret rooms and the hidden passageways. Oh, my God. The, the weird, yeah. The, I never the, had the I moved, tower. I moved the, out of L.A. Yeah. The, but the, I love um, the guy. Mick Jagger used to crash there. I know. Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? And uh, they, oh, you guys will love this. There's a there's a Bill Rossler softcore nudie flick called The Godson. Uh, with Ushi Degard, one of my favorite Russ Meyer actresses, that was shot almost entirely inside Ellis in Wonderland back in the 60s. No shit. So if you want to see what his house looks like, go watch The Godson by William Rostler. I'm writing all this down. Yeah, and 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 um, and you have to and, see Larry and, Cohen's bone. And and goddamn Harlan Ellison gets to bury his face between Ushi Degard's breasts. <laughs> I remember, for which I will forever hate him. <laughs> I remember asking him why he wanted to write for The Flying Nun back in the day. And he said, well, obviously, I wanted to fuck Sally Field. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just the right answer. Yeah, you have to. Uh, and it's getting late, and Dave's here. All right. You're wonderful. Do you, do you want to quickly tell the, the Day of the Clown Tried story? Because I know Gilbert will appreciate it. Oh, God. Okay, very, very quickly. I came in possession <laughs> of, a, of this shooting script for the Day of the Clown Cried, which I sat down and read the script. This is way back in the 95, 96. And it's a goddamn bonkers script because it was Joan O'Brien um, and someone Denton. Oh, yes. And um, they wrote a very serious script, and then he kind of, you can see where he swooped in and did his comedy pass, like the scene where he's pissing ice, Mm -hmm. literally pissing ice. So I boiled it down to, like, the scenes that really worked, and I would do these invite-only stage readings of it with, like, David Cross and, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, John Glazer, Stephen Colbert narrated at one time. Um, We did them in New York and L.A., and then I got busted because the the LA Weekly caught wind of it and did a whole like pick of the week, mm-hmm. you know, the day of the clown cried, and then we were we were served with cease and desist papers at this theater we were going to do it at in Santa Monica. I thought they were from Jerry Lewis, but it turns out it's from this producer who had the right to the original script, <laughs> who wanted to do it, and at the time he was like, "I have got, um, I'm not going to let a bunch of goddamn nobodies." Read this thing in some shit-ass theater in Santa Monica. I've got Chevy Chase interested in this, and 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 that night, you know, um, he was screaming at me, and then I told, and 
Bob Odenkirk was in the cast. And then so we did a whole show about <laughs> being shut down. And Bob and Dave did a sketch about the guy finding out about it. And my favorite line was, Chevy Chase was born to play a clown who marches children into an oven. <laughs> and we are not going to let... It was like so... Goddamn hilarious. So, yeah, it just all, so it had all these, like, you know, it was just, I don't know, it was one of those very surreal. And then you got to meet Jerry for that. Well, yeah, while briefly. I was doing these, the, the, the year that Henny Youngman died, they brought in, um, Jerry Lewis wanted to bring in all these young comedians to go up and read one of Henny Youngman's jokes, like in a line, like, oh, boom, yes, yes. as a tribute, which I was, I, I love Henny Youngman. I, Yo, have, me too. have you listened to one of his albums recently? I'd forgotten how fast the pace on it, it is a machine gun of I, jokes. I, I remember it, there's I, no breathing room. I once went out to lunch with Henny Youngman. Really? And it was great because he that's who he was. But it's such a people keep forgetting, like they they hear his his jokes isolated. Yeah. And they go, okay, that's a funny joke. I don't see yeah. why this guy but it's not the it's the pacing is so relentless that after a while you can't keep up with the it, it's like it's like the death by a thousand cuts mm-hmm. where after a while it just becomes almost excruciating how funny it is because it's these little laughs that just keep building and building and it's amazing to listen to so um, and they were trying this out and then they ended up cutting the sketch and Jerry's sitting there and is always wearing shorts always wearing <laughs> shorts and his and his zip up jacket but he but on his desk he had that. The rumor was he had that big silver briefcase, the bulletproof briefcase that that had the reels for the day the clown cried in it. That was the rumor that he would always carry it around. And I'm like, I should fucking grab that and just run. I should <laughs> yes. grab it and run, and then I will be chased around the city. There'll be helicopters, but I'm like, if I could just get this through a thing, I could transfer it to videotape yes. and just get it out there virally. Like I'd be, I'd, I'd be in jail, but I would be this weird <laughs> funk hero. Worth it. Yeah, worth yeah, it. yeah, exactly. Like a noir film where I have the day the clown cried and the city's trying to get me. Well, wasn't the wasn't the rumor that he would go into a room with a suitcase and he would with a hit, tape recorder. and he would secretly record conversations? He would he would pretend oh, to leave it in the room, Jesus Christ, so that they, he would record they, what they people said about him when he left. Yeah, they even made a Seinfeld episode. Yeah, based that was on the that. rumor. Really, he would leave it and then come back for it and say, but "Oh, I left my suitcase," but it was recording what people said about him. When you think about it, at first you go, "Oh God, what an asshole!" And then you think, "God, what are people saying about him?" <laughs> it's a really, it's an ingenious idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, I heard that Brian uh, Grazier. I don't know if it's true. And I, I there's another thing that. I, I've heard. I've actually heard this confirmed, which makes me love him. He apparently, when he goes and gets invited to someone's party, he'll have hidden in his pocket a little framed photo of himself, a rose, and a couple of candles. And he'll go into one of the other rooms when no one's looking, and he'll set up this little like altar to himself. And like, and then people are like, "Why do they have a candles and a flower in front of a picture of Brian?" Like, <laughs> which I think is the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Again, I want it to be true, and and I also want to steal that. Like, go to a friend's house, and then just later on, they're like, yes. "Why do we?" Is there an altar to Patton? What is it like? <laughs> the oh, funny man. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And before we jump, I, I just I want to mention that you also like the documentary. You tweeted about it. Oh my god, I that documentary. So we give Neil Berkeley his props. Is so because they they it's structured so brilliantly where you open up on the life of Gilbert Gottfried, and they show him doing sketches and stand up, and oh my god, he's such a weirdo, and then you reveal the wife. 
who's so sweet. It, it, like it's it, it's the it's the opposite of like the monster reveal. The it's 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 the, it's the shark and jaws coming out of the water. But what the shark is is a quiet, normal life, and it's the last thing you expect to see coming in this documentary. And it's genuinely shocking. Like, oh wait, his wife and kids are awesome. Wait a minute, what? The fuck was that first ten minutes? I thought yes. I, I literally thought he lived, well, you're I in, thought he lived in a bus station or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You We're, show up in there yeah, for yeah. a second, but yeah. like, but yeah. the way the the opening is structured is so brilliant. Yeah, because you just don't see that coming. Yeah, and and it's funny because I didn't want to do it at all, and but boy, what? And yeah, Neil Berkeley. Yeah, I have to give anyway, you props. Gilbert. Yeah, it's so good. Why the first fifteen minutes are structured so brilliantly. Great reveal of your delightful, normal life with your beautiful <laughs> apartment. Really well. Again, I thought it would be one. Actually, you know what? And I mean this in in as respectfully. I thought you'd be living one of those classic Manhattan um, uh, kind of misanthrope small apartment, like crammed with. Oh yes. You know, because you see guys like that, like 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 sure. like Ratso Sloman. Oh like yes, that, have yes. that great, you know, like, like Joe Franklin's office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yes. a weird like Rat Pack kind of thing. Which, but there's something kind of beautiful about that too. I'm like, yeah, that's obviously that's how he lives. You're like, oh my god, that. That is the most beautiful apartment I've ever had. Wonderful life he's living. He doesn't deserve it. You have your nice, comfortable robe. I'm like how the f- you know? It's so great. And then and then you de- you brought back down to earth watching him wash his socks in a hotel sink. And then yeah, and then also when they oh uh, well, you're brought back down to earth when he drags out from under his bed the gigantic oh yes. um, post-apocalyptic Tupperware that's things that's full, of, yes. full of soaps, soaps and conditioners, skin lotions. <laughs> That is the that is the and that's the scene like in the '90s serial killer movie when they they like the person realizes her <laughs> husband's nuts when she finds the weird scrapbook or the weird box. Oh like, yes! Oh my god, he collects yeah. children's shoes. You know, like that kind of. Which that was a weird trope of the in the Played '90s. They always back. had I called it the hanging scrapbook where the the killer would keep a shoebox or a scrapbook full of incriminating yes! clippings and photographs. <laughs> yes. that, but like out just like I hope no one opens this drawer and right. finds enough stuff to put well, me in the seven. gas chamber. I think they go in the, in the apartment in 7. But they, everything's all but, over the but walls. They, they, but they do that almost as it like I'm talking about in movies like Misery and Single White Female and Fatal Attraction there are these like Things of like, hey, I hope no one opens that up and sees that I'm a massive criminal. But yeah, they would have these movies where the walls were completely covered. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, like if anyone comes in here, you know you're going to jail. Yes. Yeah, so. My favorite moment in the movie is, is Bill Burr. Saying he's what the fuck is he riding the bus? Do <laughs> you think anybody's gonna he, if somebody's gonna is somebody gonna see him and go is it Gilbert Gottfried? And at that moment, Neil cuts to this black woman doing a complete three eighty. She goes, "Is that Gilbert?" <laughs> so wonderful. Yeah. Well, this, guys, this was fun, I'm so sir. Glad I got to do this. And this is what's so insane about this is this is the first time we've met. The first time I've ever gotten to meet you. Yeah. And I've heard so many, literally when I was- Is that true? Oh, first yeah. time ever. Unbelievable. And and yes, I'm taking a picture possible? and I'm saying, think of how my day started. This is how it ended. I'm going to put that on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how is, is how it my possible? You're such fans of, of one I'd, another. Yeah. It's Just, weird. Well, because you work, when you get to a certain level in comedy, and this isn't a brag, you don't get to see your friends as much. Because because you're now you're working you're not doing the hang no. where you're all hanging out like you know there was time when I I would see 
Blanka Patch and Brian Posehn and Greg Barron every day of my life because we had all day. And then when you start getting busy and working, I don't get to see Brian that much. Yeah. And we're still like best friends, but, and I'm, I'm not upset. I'm happy he's working. Yeah. I don't want us to be hanging out for five hours a day because that means something's gone horribly wrong in our lives. Well, but, so yeah. the next time Gilbert's in LA. Yes. Yes. You have one of two invitations. You can drive down to uh, San Diego because Tippy Hedren invited us to come to the, oh, to, the, to, the lion. to the Lion Reserve. Oh, Fucking really? Lion. Yes. You can go. You can take Jeez. him up on that. And a little more downscale, you can go to Bob Burns' house. And I've look, already been. Okay. Yeah. I, I would go to. I lived like I've three blocks from him, and I would, I would go to his. House. I would go to his Halloween um, parties. Oh, you went to those? Yeah. Any of the best? I have an invitation to go to Guillermo del Toro's house. Oh. Which is, I don't know if you've seen pictures of the interior. No. Oh, Gilbert, go look up, right, Guillermo del Toro's house and look how he decorates the inside of his house. You'll lose your mind. And, and. It, it, I, it's, it's, it's the stuff you love. I, I, I did like a weekend at a club in Pittsburgh and I was bored out of my wits during the day, as you always are. Mm-hmm. Right? And and uh, what's his name? Savini. Savini. Yeah. Tom Savini. No lives there. shit. Invited and him after the fact. And he's got a big house with all his monster stuff. I got to tour Rick Baker's house, and I have an open invitation. Oh my god! Where his lives? basement alone is insane. Do you know? Oh my god! Right, he's right in Toluca Lake. You guys will have to do. When you guys come out, let me know. I will. I Rick will love to have you over. Oh, I. And love- he is a fascinating. He. Worked on Star Wars for God's sake. He did the cantina scene, and he has all the original masks on the wall. And then we can we go to Rosenthal's house for the pizza? Oh, absolutely! Every okay. Sunday, you okay. kidding? Yeah, I'll, I'll then, bring you over there. He, I'm that. in. He actually created a lot of the stuff that was in the Howling. Oh, I mean, he not only did he create; it wasn't even that he created makeups. He created techniques and. Um, uh, bits of hardware that are now just standard issue that he had to build from the ground up. They didn't exist until he built them. Quite brilliant. He's he's a genius. And there's a movie that he did the uh, makeup for where if when you watch it now, you think if someone said this guy's going to be a legendary makeup artist. Right, right. He'd go, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and uh, Octoman. He did Octoman? Yes. Is that a Corman? Thing? Yeah, he's well, he half did- octopus, half man. <laughs> I need to look because I thought one of his early ones was this one they did on Mystery Science Theater called Squirm. Oh, that's and I the think Jeff Lieberman movie. with the yeah, yeah with the yeah, worms. The worms. This guy has like look, look at look at worm face or yeah. some weird kind of yeah yeah. But, but he's he, a genius. He is a he's a oh, genius. Brilliant. My God, yeah. I mean, the, the stuff, and the now stuff, is he retired now? I think he's retired, but he does like. I mean, he does lectures and yeah. books, but oh, his, okay. you know, he he's he. Of course, he's retired. He's there's nothing left for him to invent at this yeah. point, you know. And, but but the one good thing okay. that's weird is now that he's retired, there's a generation of filmmakers coming up that have kind of rejected CGI and are trying to go back to practical effects because oh, that's interesting because CGI just doesn't stun anyone anymore. They're just like, well, yeah, it's fake. That's but if you can find a way to do it practically, it freaks people out. Let this man go home. He's got to get up at 7 o'clock and be on television. Yeah, I got to go. Yeah. Oh. So, but. All right, field LA, trip in L.A. Let me, yeah, if you're coming, let me know. Oh, I, I want to wa- watch you react to Rick Baker's house. That would be fascinating. And his, every year for his Halloween cards, the makeup he does for his family. Oh, wow. Is insane. I'll bet. And what, the thing, just one more thing with computerization I think Roger Ebert said um, a computer, uh, you know, CGI 
uh, looks real but feels fake. Uh, stop action. Yes. Looks fake but feels real. Because there's a sense of wonder and magic yes. to it that that you connect with. Whereas all you can – the most you can do with CGI – is just is go well. That's technically very solid. Yes, yeah. But it doesn't thrill no imagination. you. Yeah. Be- because I think with stop motion, like Jesus, he had to do that with clay. How did they pull that off? Yeah. The guy fighting five different skeletons, and then you, your brain goes, they had to coordinate that actor. Yeah. Then they had to make sure Insane. to get the. It, it's it's incredible. Exhausting. So Thanks I, for doing I, this, man. I'm being it's great told to, have you. to wrap up <laughs> Only about forty minutes ago. Yes. Wow. Well, why right. split hairs? So this has been Gilbert and Frank's. Nope. Um, it's the other show. Oh, this! Well, oh wow. yes, you're consistent. Oh my God, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we've been talking to a man who's going to go home, have sex with his wife, God. and imagine that I'm oh. fucking him in the ass oh God. like he's Ned Beatty, Meredith. <laughs> Oh my God. Please, if, if Meredith Salinger is listening to this, please, I, I'm i going to make sure she does not listen to this podcast. <laughs> Pat Oswald. <laughs> we'll see you in L.A. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Patton. Amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to Paul Rayburn, John Murray, John Fodiatis, and Nutmeg Creative. Especially Sam Giovanco and Daniel Farrell for their assistance.